The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. Good morning. I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus Christ. And say, Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're not too tired after too much turkey to hear one more sermon. That'd be bad news for me. Maybe bad news for you, although if you sleep, that's maybe good news for you. I don't know. I'm thankful. I'm always thankful for this church. But I'm reminded this morning of how thankful I am, the way you worship. I'm thankful for those who lead us in worship. I'm thankful for Linda and her words this morning. Amen. That Jesus is sitting by the fireplace and saying, why don't you just come sit with me? Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. And gray-haired people have come up a lot this morning. <laughs> and I want to say, in your defense, it's better to be gray than to be bald. Rod, amen? Yes, sir. Okay. Amen. Yeah. The one time he doesn't say amen. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to transition to the next thing, but let's just pray, okay? Let's pray. Amen. God, we give you thanks for this church, for your people, and you have made us a people. We are not a people without you. And for your word, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts to follow. We pray for lives to practice your word. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Our text today is John chapter 1, beginning of verse 35 to 39. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 35. The word of the Lord. The next day, John was there again with the two disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went. And saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. We began this sermon series, You Are What You Love, back in the fall. And we began, we began this sermon series with this text, in fact. That the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, the first red-letter words, if you have a red-letter Bible, are these words. What do you want? Now, these disciples are following Jesus, and you'd think the first question that he would have as he turns around to see these strangers following them is, who are you? But that's not the question. He begins with the question, what do you want? 
And at the very heart of who you are is not what you know. It's not what you think. Because we've all experienced this. We all know what we should do. But then again, how many of you have ever experienced this where you know what you should do, yet you don't do it? Like, for example, my wife is out of town, and one of the things she told me that she would like for me to do is before she comes back, she would like for me to put up the Christmas lights. Now, I know what I should have done yesterday. I know I should have put up Christmas lights. But guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to watch football. <laughs> you are young and got a lot to learn, Ezra. <laughs> I know what I should have done, but I'm not driven by what I know. I'm driven by what I want. And you would think in the Gospel of John, the first question might be, what do you believe? Since the Gospel was written at the end, it says, and these things were written down so that you may believe. But that's not Jesus' first question. It's not what do you believe. Because like knowing something, believing something, I... I'm not always pushed by what I believe, but I'm always pulled by what I want. So at the very heart of who you are, it's not what you know, it's not what you believe, but what you want. You are what you want. You are what you desire. Or, as we've been saying, you are what you love. And we've also talked about how practices shape our loves. And I said this at the very beginning, that loves are not so much taught as they are caught. And so there are things that we learn, but really, our loves aren't so much taught to us as they are caught by the very practices we get ourselves involved in. Right? It's why we want our children to choose good friends. Every parent knows this, right? You want your kids hanging out with other good kids, right? Because even though you may teach them at home and your teachers may teach them at school, you know what, power, what the power is of hanging around people and kind of the behaviors that are caught, not just taught. And so what we've also said in this sermon series is that you practice your loves, or that if you really want to know what you love, look at your practices. Look at your life. So the question today is, when Jesus turns around to his disciples and he says, what do you want? The question is, what do they actually want? And they say this, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And they spend the day with him, or at least the late afternoon. 
And the Gospel of John teaches us that it's most basic level. Discipleship has to do with staying. They ask this question. Jesus says, what do you want? And they want to know. I want to know where you're staying. So at its most basic level, discipleship has to do with staying. And this theme runs all the way through the Gospel of John, except that in your translations, it might not show up as the word staying, but it might show up as the word remain. Or, depends on your translation, it shows up as the word you're probably more familiar with in the Gospel of John is abide. It's, it's the same idea. Where are you staying so that we can come and remain with you, so that we can come abide with you? So, for example, if you look later on in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, If you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are my disciples indeed. And then in John 15, 4, it says, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. And then later in chapter 15, it says, Jesus tells his disciples to abide in my love. Abiding, staying, remaining is a big theme in John's gospel. And it's most basic level. It's what it means to be a disciple, to stay, to remain with, to abide. And so, Sunday is a chance, Sunday morning is our chance to go stay where Jesus stays, to abide with him. It's a chance to absorb pearls of wisdom from his lips, to follow him around, to watch how he conducts himself at the table, and how he conducts himself around town. Worship is actually sitting out outside the door of Jesus or maybe sitting in the same room, in the living room, by the fire with Jesus and waiting for a word that we can hang our lives on or see a life that is worthy of emulation. And so that's the invitation every Sunday to come and abide with Jesus in worship, it's an invitation when Jesus asks, what do you want? And we come every Sunday morning saying, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they remain with him. And we remain with him. At least throughout the morning. And so here's maybe what we see and learn when we abide with him in worship. That Jesus operates to a different calendar than our calendars. At least this is how the church celebrates it. He arranges the week and the day. He arranges the day and the week, the month and the year around his life. It is not just Black Friday that arranges our life, but is we are oriented more to Good Friday. Amen. That we don't live in expectation of the Christmas holiday to have time off from work or from school, but we're oriented towards Advent and expect God to break into our lives once again. And give us the rest and the peace that we really crave. We learn a new rhythm. 
We just don't submit to our schedules of work and school and the endless number of events that fill up our calendar. But we submit to the rhythm of Jesus' life, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, Advent, Lent, Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. We, don't, we learn a different way to tell time. And as we gather, we welcome one another. We offer the peace of Christ to one another. And we learned about hospitality, which literally means to love strangers. And so we learned that Jesus loved strangers because he loved us. And therefore we learn to see a way of life that we can follow to love strangers throughout the week so that we are open to Christ and can recognize him in our life when he shows up in the face of a stranger during our week. And when we sing songs and we confess what we believe, these are our anthems of allegiance and our pledges. Our primary allegiance, our first allegiance, is not to a nation and to what it symbolizes, but to a king and a kingdom. It's what we sing about. It's what we confess. Not to a political party, but to a particular people. The ones sitting in this room. We don't sing jingles that direct our loves towards a brand, but we sing songs that aim our loves at a particular person. And we know how powerful those little songs are, right? Those little jingles that get in our heads. At B.C. Clark, anniversary sale. You're about to hear that one. If you've lived in Oklahoma a long time, they've been singing that one for like 50 years. But you remember it. And as we did this morning, we confess. As Brett talked about, confession is not what we really want. It's really hard to confess. But it's what we need. It's what we desperately need in order, in order to name the reality as it really is. To say, this is who we are. And also to say, this is who God is. And so we learn to confess here. So that maybe during the week we can go and husbands can confess to their wives. And wives can confess to their husbands. I know it's really hard, but children can confess to their parents. And maybe even what's harder, parents can confess their wrongs to their children. And then maybe it'll grow outside the home to where you can begin confessing wrongs in the way the world really is to your neighbor, to your coworker, to those that you need to be real with. And we learn prayer from Jesus. And the purpose of prayer is not to pray what we want, but prayer is to pray 
our way into God's world. To pray our way into God's reality. That's why when the disciples say, teach us to pray, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a practice that puts thy before I. It's a practice that puts God before ourselves. It reforms us from the selfish postures of hovering over our phone to the desires of your kingdom come. And prayer is not transactional. It's not a transactional clicking, but a relational longing. And we join in with others, not just ourselves. And baptism, baptism We learn that our life is not just we're baptized once, but that is an initiation into a whole way of life. We live a a baptized life. In fact, the one way I would characterize what the Christian life is, and really insiders would get this, but you live a baptized life. That's the kind of life you live. That's the kind of life you are called to when you're immersed in water, a baptized life, a life where you die to yourself and you're buried into a new identity and a new community, and you're raised to a new mission, a new way of life which allows you to go on suffering with others. You can walk alongside when others suffer. And we hear the Word, and we dwell in His Word, and we follow the story each week. And it helps us to distinguish between God's story and all the other stories that are competing to narrate our lives. Because you all live according to a story. In fact, probably what makes life difficult is that we're trying to live by multiple stories all at the same time. That's a difficult thing to do. And as we hear this story, it seeps into our lives, becomes part of who we are. It helps us understand how we should live. And when we come to God's table, we learn about God's economy, at least one of the things we learn. Because God takes the most basic elements of human life. He takes bread and he takes drink. He takes this small cracker and this wine the things we want the most, the things that we don't just crave on occasion, but we crave at least three times a day. And over Thanksgiving, you probably craved it at least four or five times a day. Pumpkin pie. But he takes these most basic things for life, the things that we want and crave, and he transforms them towards his own ends. And that end is himself. That when we crave this bread, we're not only reminded that this is not where life comes filling up our stomach, but comes from the bread of life. And sitting around at the Eucharist table, we give thanks. We give thanks because there's an abundance of broken pieces that we can be satiated. That thanksgiving is a response to not being content. When you give thanks, you almost have to be content. 
God, thanks. You've provided enough. And because there's enough, we can turn around and share it with others. And as Brett reminded us, separate and apart from this communion, we come and lay our offerings. We learn about what it means to give ourselves. We learn, and I love this phrase, not to cook the books of the kingdom. That when someone needs a place to stay, and I've got an extra room, and I don't invite them in, I'm cooking the books of the kingdom. When I got an extra coat, and people are cold this winter, and I don't share it, I'm cooking the books of the kingdom. And finally, at the end, when we're sent, that each week Jesus sends us out with a life purpose. They're not just sent out to go to their normal routine, but we're sent out with intention and purpose in the world. And spending time with Him has made all the difference. The word disciple literally means being a student. And if you're asked today, what is the essence of being a student? I asked my son Noah this morning, I said, what does it mean to be a student? He says, uh, well, you go to class and you're taught stuff. And you have fun sometimes. <laughs> and I would imagine if I were to ask college students, what does it mean to be a student? They would say something like this. You go to class on occasion. Take notes, study your notes, do your assignments, you take the exam. And some would say, maybe they would say this first, it involves lots of fun and social events, having fun with friends, dating, staying up late as possible, and sleeping in as much as possible, which is probably why class happens sometimes for them. But here's what it wouldn't involve. If you were to ask a student what being a disciple or what being a student looked like, it probably wouldn't look like this. It would not involve hanging out with your teacher all day or hanging on their every word. It wouldn't involve following their steps around town, sleeping outside their door in order not to miss that pearl of wisdom falling from their lips. It wouldn't involve watching how they conduct themselves at the table or how they conduct themselves around town. But in the first century, to be a disciple, to be a student of someone, that is what they would say it looked like. Disciples are those who sleep outside the master's door to hear about a life or to see a life worth living. They don't just take notes and then try to memorize them for the exam. They don't just go to class once or twice a week they spend all their life following, all their life trying to learn. They spend all their life, like Linda said, they join them in the living room for the day, not just for 50 minutes, only to pay attention occasionally. 
when we gather around Jesus to worship, we kind of do it intermittently. We shouldn't feel bad about that. That's our rhythm. But we only show up once a week. Now, we have small groups and other things, but for what we do here on Sunday morning, we only show up once a week. Needless to say, I'm not sure once a week constitutes what it means to be a disciple. I'm not sure showing up intermittently, coming to class, taking notes, studying them when you go home. I'm not sure that's what it means to be a disciple. But what if we instead of thinking about worship, it's just a time, a chance to abide with Jesus in order to learn, to make sense of how to love and follow him during the week. Maybe we should think about this whole thing the other way around. Maybe instead of thinking about coming to abide with him in order to learn how to follow and love throughout the week, maybe we abide with him all week that we live out these practices all week that in order so that we can make sense of when we come together and worship. Are you hearing that? So worship just doesn't make sense of our life throughout the week. Maybe we abide with Jesus all week long and that when we show up on Sunday morning, it actually makes sense. That if we follow and practice his ways all week, only then will the phrase, Jesus is Lord, make sense when it comes off our lips on Sunday morning. So maybe, if we show hospitality to strangers all week, then on Sunday morning we can recognize the stranger in our midst, Jesus. Because oftentimes he shows up as a stranger. And we can worship him. Maybe if we sing and confess our allegiances all week, then we will truly discover how great thou art on Sunday morning. Maybe if we have something against someone or if we've done something against someone that we go to them during the week so that confession and forgiveness might occur so that when we bring our offerings on Sunday morning, they may be acceptable to God and it makes sense. When we bring our confessions and sin that God might just forgive us too. He might, not just might, he will. Maybe we pray our way into God's world with God's people throughout the week. We might recognize his kingdom come and his will done when we see it here on Sunday mornings. Maybe if we die to ourselves and live a baptized life all week, then we might actually find identity within this community. And we can actually walk with people who suffer. If we dwell in his word during the week, That maybe as we dwell in that word, that his word might create a new world, God's world, that we may walk into and live into as we leave this building each Sunday. Maybe if we give thanks all week for the food we have, recognizing God's abundance and sharing it with others, we just might find 
that out of these small pieces of cracker and juice, we may just find that they actually can sustain us. not just sustain us because we're thankful that we break this little cracker off of the juice and it just doesn't sustain us but this is the food we thrive on if we share our possessions throughout the week then giving becomes as natural as riding a bike when you're a kid you don't even have to think about it And you'll find joy in the offering each Sunday, just like a kid hops on his bike and doesn't think about it. He just goes and enjoys the ride. And if we live as a sent people with purpose and mission during the week, we will eagerly await our marching orders as we are sent out from this place each Sunday. Just give me the marching orders this week. Disciples disciples have to learn to love Jesus by abiding with Him, by staying with Him, by following Him, by learning from Him, by practicing His ways so that when we meet Him on Sunday mornings, we can't help but to worship Him because we have learned to love Him more than anything else in the entire world. You are what you love. To love Jesus is to be a disciple to be a disciple. Will you come today as we stand and sing?